What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Old English D, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Casey, alongside, as always, Josh. How you doing today, buddy? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How are we feeling? Feeling, feeling pretty good. You know, we had a, we had a fun weekend of baseball. We'll go over a lot of it, but we're feeling pretty good. I am uh, quite tired from the day. I will be honest. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, had a long, had a long weekend. I blew a tire over the weekend. That was fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's had a whole gamut of just things that came up. So that was, that was fun. How was your weekend? Ah, not bad. Nothing really of note worked a lot, but what's new. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Both, both working quite a bit. So that's, that's completely fair. Um, but we're here, we're ready to, you know, obviously recap the week of Tigers baseball and it was a big week. We had a lot of things happen. Um, Most of note, I would say, uh, and we'll just kick it off here. Uh, Instead of going with our three takeaways off the bat, I think we're going to talk about the arguably the most important thing that happened over the weekend. So, of course, Friday, Tigers get rained out, and that sets up a perfect Saturday doubleheader where Miguel Cabrera is one hit away from 3000. And does he do it, Josh? First at bat. First at bat. First at bat. At bat. And he obviously went wild. Crowd went wild, right? They were, they were waiting at this point for, you know, a 72 hour <laughs> period. Um, and, and realistically, right? Like, there was some drama in the and the end of the Yankees series that we'll get into that made the waiting last even longer. And, you know, you knew it was going to be, it wasn't going to be like the next at bat, you knew you like, you, you mm-hmm. knew there was going to be some waiting. You knew that there was going to be some, some, some potential for um, him to hit a little bit of a mini slump. And he kind of did. Right. I mean, I think he went over four in that last Yankees game or over three with oh, that over three with, with the walk, of course. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But what I thought, what I couldn't stop thinking about really throughout the whole process was just the history of it all the the greater context and and something that I think we lose sight of with being Tigers fans, right? I, I think we take for granted Miguel Cabrera. And the whole time when, you know, obviously he gets the hit, it's an opposite field single, which is just poetic, right? Um and you know he's running up first base, he puts his arm up and it's just just an awesome picture. You know, the whole time you're like, how did we get so lucky? that we got to spend 15 years with this guy. And now it's going to be, you know, 16 or 17 years when it's all said and done. And like, what a special hitter. I don't know. What were you thinking when you finally got the, the 3000th hit? I, so this happened Saturday, pretty like one, one thirty ish. I was on the road for work and I had some some extra time, but typically I would just sit down and watch, or I would not be driving and I'd listen to Dan Dickerson with the call. But I was like, you know what? This might be something I want to at least pay attention to for for a couple at bats here. So I pulled over, did some paperwork, and watched watched the first part of the game, and probably was the best decision that I've ever made sports wise. Just 
I, I don't think that a lot of people understand just how rare this is. Like, because we've had quite a few guys in in the recent history join this 3000 hit club, I, I think it's 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 going to become more apparent the longer it goes to the next guy, how big of a deal this is. Because until I started looking at a bunch of these stats of Miggy's and like the other guys on this 3000 hit club, and we don't, we don't really give it enough credit for being such an accomplishment in my, in my opinion, because it's, it's, it's crazy. The, the things you have to do, especially in today's game to get to 3000 hits. Yeah, just the longevity, right? I mean, like, I mean, we throw up numbers like, you know, 20. He's been in the league for 20 years. And I mean, like, that's just a number, right? But when you actually think about it, like, how many people make it past 10 years? Well, I mean, mean, if you get past 20, like, longevity is one part of it. But, like, you have to be pretty consistent the whole time. Yeah, it's going to be a middle of the order bat for the for a duration of, of your entire career. Yeah, you're right. The, the, you have the, guys like Joey Votto and Yadier Molina who are like 38, 39, who have played a long time in this game, and I would say are decent hitters. And, and they're they're right around two thousand, two thousand hits, and they're in their upper thirties, and they neither of them have missed a huge chunk of time with injury. Mm-hmm. So I th- just. It's another level above longevity. It's just, it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. just, yeah, it's like pure consistency. I mean, like you don't, you don't get those without having. Well, one, I mean, you know, I, we all know the accolades, right? I mean, two MVPs, a triple crown. I mean, like you, you start tallying the hardware, right? Yeah, and it makes sense. But at the same time, then when you put it in the context of of the players who have done it, you know, Ricky Henderson, in Pete Rose. I mean, like these, these are, these are guys that go down in the legends category and we're, we're watching it. And, and even AJ, even AJ during the toast said it, like we, we are watching a living legend and, you know, AJ has just such a good way with words. I think it's, it's so poetic um, that, you know, and even Miggy, he was, he was crying, you know, he was getting, he was getting emotional. Um, you know, it, it's hard not to appreciate what this guy has done, not only for the Tigers organization, that's one thing, right? But then all the entirety of baseball and to have it all kind of culminate to that moment was super, super special. Yeah. I mean, some of these, some of these guys that like, I, I'm just looking at some of the stats that they have up here for Mickey and his hits, just like pure, just his hitting. He, and this one kind of got shocked me when I first saw it. He's only ever recorded one 200 hit season. Hmm, interesting. He, let's see here. He's hit, got a hit in 1,852 different games. Yeah. And like it was uh, oh, over how many pitchers? I 900 was, something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the 900, um, like 998 or something. Um, I mean, that's that's like. Obviously, two decades, but like that's a that's a lot of people to go through, <laughs> just people <laughs> I mean, just to right. face in general. Right. I mean, he, he faced countless legendary pitchers right that that we don't even think of as like in this lifetime 
Well, exactly. I'm looking at at the list of Hall of Famers that he has hits off of, like current Hall of Famers that have been elected. He has hits against, well, the most he has hits against, he has 12 hits off of Tom Glavin. Eight hits off of Greg, Greg Maddox. Seven hits off of John Smoltz. He has six hits off of Pedro Martinez. Five or four hits off of Mike Mussina and Randy Johnson. Oh my gosh. And this is the one that shocked me. And he has only two hits off of Mariano Rivera, which I think says more about Mariano Rivera than Miggy, honestly. That's true. uh, Those those were both equally home runs. Yeah, well, (laughs) they were were awesome. They were in Yankee Stadium. I think back to back nights, right? And like that was that was electric. But um, yeah, I mean, like you you read off those names, and it's like to us who are on the you know the younger side of of Tigers generational fans, like that those names seem like a lifetime away. And Miguel Cabrera is the gap. He's the bridge. And that's uh, you, you just can't you can't put into words how special of a, of a player he's been. Um, and, you know, it was also super fun to see the team's reaction, which, you know, they paused essentially the entirety of the game. Everyone came out of the dugout, hugged him, you know, told him good job, finally got the game or, you know, got the, got the base hit ball. And, you know, the first person to give him that ball was, gosh, Iglesias, Jose Iglesias, Holy which cow. was just awesome. Apparently they're still neighbors and apparently, I mean, obviously they're still good friends, but like when they played together, like they had a special bond and seeing Iglesias, I mean, that was, that was made me tear up. I'm like, Oh man, I this is like a throwback. I couldn't think of a better, better person to be able to hand him that baseball and congratulate him first, mm-hmm. honestly. And, and then like, what was obviously cool just from like a national recognition standpoint i mean every broadcast stopped and and made like an announcement about it wait because they did i i so i i was also watching the yankees broadcast and i was also watching um i think it was either the the mets or the philly i can't remember who the other broadcast i was watching but but both of those broadcasts made references to Miguel Cabrera hitting his 3000th and MLB network was doing cutaways the entirety of his 3000th watch. So every time that he was, you know, at bat, they would have a live feed of Bally sports Detroit and they would be watching and and listening along with tiger fans. And so, I mean, it's just like, you know, the tigers just haven't gotten that kind of recognition in the last, you know, realistically seven to eight years (laughs) So, and so it's just, it's nice to, to finally be in the limelight again. Um, and, and Twitter was obviously going crazy and there was, it, it just, it, it finally gave it a, a, a national recognition that was important for the Tigers. And I think, you know, as we get to live with that moment and we get to finally share that moment with, with, you know, other tiger fans and 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 this team specifically i think it will become even more important to us or 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 you know punctuated by by the time that he um retires and then we get to look back on all these achievements that he's um been through and and get to relive these moments and you don't get to do that with a lot of players and so super special um but it, it got us thinking, and and I know a lot of people have, have kind of 
tacked on to this, but I think it's just important to note. I don't know if this is going to happen again in our lifetimes. Like, I, I don't know realistically if, if anyone's going to achieve this feat within at least the next 15 to 20 years. And I mean, we're talking about like young kids at that point. Um, if you pull up the list of active hit leaders, um, it's led by Robinson Cano behind Miguel Cabrera. Yikes. And, and I mean, he's 39 and he's at 2,631. So I think we can safely say that he, he's not going to get it. And then it's Yachty and then Vado, like you mentioned. And then we just get to a lot of names that, you know, are on the older side of their thirties and are below 2000 hits. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if anyone in this, in this top 15 is going to be able to do it obviously because of because of age and then you go down to like you know someone who has like 500 hits like a Juan Soto and it's like it's going to be forever for him to get it I don't know what are your thoughts on that I mean it's so tough and it just it's really going to depend on how the game changes in the next few years here because I mean you take into consideration the shift and the way pitchers are pitching now it's a whole lot different and just a lot of these different considerations. I don't think anybody in this top 50 makes it. I don't. You brought up an interesting point there. And I did, I did want to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, just for a moment, you know, the shift is going away next year. And so I, I, that'll probably have some effect on, on Mm -hmm. some of these guys. And I think, you know, realistically it will have a, a positive effect on the hitters. Um, So that's something to note too, is I think, some of these are subject to change and probably accelerated at a different pace, but Um, just looking down this list of guys, I mean, for one thing, a lot of these guys are a lot older than I thought they were. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another thing to keep in mind. Like I would have, I would put money that Trey Turner would be a good bet for this later in his career, but he's almost 30 and he only has 800 hits Mm -hmm. his career. So guys like that, I mean, we're getting down into the 90s in this ranking of, of active hits leaders. And we're still in guys in their 30s, upper 20s. I mean, yeah, I don't... The, the two names that have been brought up quite often when it comes to this are both Juan Soto and a lot of people are saying it's going to take a guy, uh, a guy like Wander Franco to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had to pick one of those two, I would Riley Green. Franco. <laughs> I haven't seen quite enough of Riley Green. <laughs> um, I would pick Wander Franco mainly because I think Juan Soto walks too much. Wow, I know that's a we're weird, all about we're all about OVP to... on this pod. Okay, well, I mean, we're talking about something very specific, three thousand <laughs> yeah, minutes. But if you're if you're walking. 200 times a year that's 200 plate appearances that you're right. not getting a hit so. right uh, yeah he, he, you're just saying that like he's just not he's not hitting the ball enough to actually obviously get the get the number of hits up right exactly so nothing against one Juan, Juan Soto. I, he's a fantastic hitter and I, it, the, half of his half of his appeal as a hitter is his power and his plate approach and his his ability to get on base with the walks and stuff so I, I love Juan Soto, but 
Right. No, obviously, yeah. No, no. Um, not making a comment on any of these uh, like active players that still, you know, are in the 2000s or, you know, right below the 2000s, but it's just like, there's just not enough time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's just not enough time to do it. Um, and, you know, it, for Miguel Cabrera, right? I mean, like, specifically, you brought it up in this day and age with how dominant some pitchers can be with, I mean, you know, arguably a dead ball era, you know I mean? Like, like it, it has to be someone like Miguel Cabrera who just takes the ball to the opposite fields, uh, take, takes the ball to the opposite field, takes his lumps and just is okay with the single. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, obviously a lot, the majority of his hits are singles, but it's, it's the spread of where those singles are. And that's like up the middle into right field. And it's just like, I mean, this guy just, just was always okay with just taking the opposite field single, you know, that takes a mindset. It takes a non-greedy mindset to be okay with that. I mean, and Tiger's Twitter put up that, that post day of all of Miggy's hits. Miggy's hit of the tiger. I did see and that. It's it literally just... just this even spread looked like a, a fan, just, just the whole field. And it's, right. there's not an empty spot on the field. He just spread the ball so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he, what he has done and what he continues to do is super special. And I'm, I'm glad that, we get to live it out and we get to see a player, you know, obviously not in his prime, but now in the sunset stage of his career. And it's, you know, hopefully going to end well for him and the Tigers organization. Amongst all of that, (laughs) we had a moment and this will go down as one of my three takeaways for the week. And we'll run through, through these kind of quickly, but it, you cannot go the entirety of the of the Miggy conversation, him getting his 3,000th hit, how awesome that celebration was, without at least bringing broaching the topic of the intentional walk that one Aaron Boone <laughs> initiated. And so it was Thursday's game, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we won the game, so... What whatever whatever you know conclusions you can draw from from that being the case, the game was tied at that point, right? It was three to three, mm-hmm. and bases are loaded. Or no, sorry, bases were not loaded. Sorry, bases were about to be loaded. <laughs> runners on second, right? Runners on second and third, and who's up? Miguel Cabrera. Um, you know, it's probably a very, very shrewd baseball call. Is it the right baseball call? I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, you you put yourself in Aaron Boone's shoes and you're like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know what you would rather choose. Um, obviously, the fans want to see 3,000th. It would be even cooler if the 3,000th came at, like, a punctuated moment you know like an important integral moment of the game and it would also get the tigers the lead i mean there's just so many compounding factors and you could see the wheels start to turn (laughs) in both the pitching coach's mind in aaron boone's mind and the gears started to turn 
and quickly thereafter they walked in and again you know i think important part of the context is who was coming up and who was pitching uh aaron boone wanted the lefty on lefty austin meadows was coming up lutke was pitching um you know sets up a pretty good lefty on lefty matchup austin meadows also was having a bad game i think he struck out like three times that game Mm mm-hmm and so Aaron Boone thought it was the best baseball decision to walk Miguel Cabrera. Pandemonium ensues. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd starts yelling, Yankees suck, chanting Yankees suck. And Aaron Boone will probably forever go down as if he already wasn't hated in Tiger Town, he, he probably um, is more hated now. I don't necessarily think that that's the right narrative. I think it's an interesting baseball conversation. I don't think it was the right one, though. What are your thoughts? I I would agree with you just purely based on the baseball conversation. Because when you come down to 3,000 hits, clearly he's not sitting here trying to to prevent Mickey from getting 3,000 hits. I mean... He's his team is down by one run at that point. And the last thing any major league coach is going to sit there and do is actively say, oh, let's put another runner on while we're trying to make a comeback. So there, there was obviously no malicious intent in from from Boone and the Yankees. I, I do think he, he definitely thought it was the better baseball decision. And that's up for debate. I mean, you you think it was better to walk him? That's a better baseball team. No, no, I I oh. think it, I think it was better to to face him. Mm, okay, I I know Meadows was having a bad game, but it seems like this year Meadows has had a propensity to come up big, big late, in spots, late in games. Right. Yeah, and clutch as some people would say. I I don't know. It's a, my my take on it, if you if you had to pin me down, Miggy was okay with it because his on base percentage went up and the Tigers scored runs off of it and they won. And who am I to to disagree with Mister Three Thousand? That's what I think. Yeah, and I think that's a fair place to leave it. I think for and I listened to Aaron Boone's post game and and I'm not necessarily sure he was even convinced it was the right decision (laughs) like I'm not I'm not even convinced that he he was necessarily um in in his own head with it you know I I don't I don't think he came to peace with it you know I bet you if you ask him if he you know candidly probably isn't at peace with it I think it was a baseball decision that maybe was overthought, maybe was a little bit over um, produced, but I think in that moment he felt like he gave his chance or his team the best chance to win. And you can't fault him for that. You know what I mean? Like you you just can't, you you just, you you can't. And you know, whatever you say, whatever about lefty on lefty or matchups, you know, it, it probably was a better matchup against Austin Meadows. What is your first takeaway from the week of Tigers baseball? Ooh, man, we have to get the offense to be a little more consistent. Need a spark plug. It's, it's, need a spark plug. It's been spotty is probably a little generous at this point. 
uh, we've got some guys that are in some pretty, pretty tough stretches here. I mean, the big three names of scope candy and, and Badu come to mind. And you just, it, it, when you pair that with a little bit of injury on the offense, like there's, there's just no way you're going to be able to consistently win games. Our, our pitching staff has been able to keep us in games so far. I think it's the, the pitching is as much as the starters have struggled, just in general, the pitching has kept us <clears throat> within shouting distance of 500. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that with Javi coming back and hopefully getting back in the swing of things and, you know, hopefully seeing green here at some point in the next month or so, you would, you would hope it gets better. And and some of these guys start to figure it out like scope and Candelario, you, you know, they've been around the block a couple of times now and you would, you would assume they would be able to figure out, you know, how to get out of the slump, but uh, it's just kind of a dire, dire look on offense right now for the Tigers. For sure. And, and, you know, I mean, we have that huge game where Miggy gets his 3000 and we win 13 to zero. And it was just like, mm-hmm. we were like, we were texting back and forth. Like, who is this offense? What are we doing? <laughs> who, who is this team? And it's just like, and then, you know, just dejected for the rest of the weekend. And it's like, you know, they show flashes of, of being quite brilliant at times. And then it's just incredibly, incredibly, you know, dejective of, of, any, of any energy. Yeah, that's pedestrian, the great word. Just completely dejected of any energy. And, you know, my second takeaway for the week kind of goes into this. I don't know where this team would be without Awesome Meadows. Um, you know, I know we've highlighted it a couple times with him being one of the hotter hitters on the team. But, I mean, even just reading his stat line, I mean, right, like, I mean, he, kind of stabilized with his batting average. He's at 333, which is still great, but it's, you know, it's definitely not the 400s it was, but he still has a consistent OBP of over 400. Um, you know, a slugging, he's not hitting the ball hard. That's below 500, which for slugging percentage, that's like kind of a benchmark. 500, you want to be above that. Um, he's below that. He's at 444. But the dude's OPS plus, which we obviously love that statistic and thinks it tells us a lot about the entirety of the hitting statistic 170 100 is average and he's at 170 he's hitting 70 points higher than league average i mean i know that miggy got co-player of the week and not saying that he didn't deserve it i i think that's awesome i I, but maybe it was a little bit of a handout for the 3000 hit i'm not you know I, i think austin meadows has been our most obviously our most consistent hitter but also our most productive hitter and it's kind of scary to think of where this team would be without him. hundred percent. I, we kind of saw it the first game. I mean, he, I think he had two or three hits opening day and it, a lot of them have been kind of blue pits that have dropped in, but baseball is baseball when it comes down to it. And those you'll start hitting the ball hard here soon. I think it's like, and that kind of goes, this kind of will go with, with my take as well, but it's been Meadows and Torque in this lineup. And if you would have told me in spring training that Torkelson was going to be one of the top two, three hitters in this team, I would have been thrilled. Probably would have thought that there would have been two or three better hitters just overall in the lineup as well. <laughs> but I mean, the guy looks like he's been 
you know, hitting in the majors for four years, five years. He just looks so mature and he's having great at bats and he's the moments never seem too, too big for him. And I think that's really all you can ask of a rookie hitter is absolutely. And and as soon as, right. And as soon as Miggy hit his 3000 hit a couple batters later, he turns and hits an opposite field home run. It was like a perfect passing of the torch. Like, it's just like, this is so cool. And you're right. I mean, no, no moment looks too big for him. Uh, I know we were a little worried about his approach in the beginning of the year and it wasn't working out for him. He is by far in a way taking more swings now. And, oh, and yeah. I think, and I think that's exactly what he needed to be doing. Um, whether or not that's orchestrated or whether or not that's actually just him going ahead and being okay with taking more swings um, and feeling more comfortable at the plate. His approach and his determination to to put this team on his back is honestly exactly like what Miguel Cabrera looks like in his prime. And that's that's really cool. What do you got, buddy? What's your what's your last what's your last take here? My last take, and kind of kind of goes along with your torque stays hot take here. I think it's time to do a little lineup shuffle. Mm-hmm. I, I think reading specifically Scope's name in an RBI heavy location of the lineup, <laughs> whether it be second, whether it be fourth, fifth, whatever, whatever it may be, is kind of disheartening at the moment. And he's just not producing. I'm not saying sit him. I'm not saying bench him. He's our best second baseman on the team. Like uh, that's that's bar none. Um, but I do question why he is still penciled in at number two or number four, whatever it may be. Um, if it were me, honestly, I would, I would play around with like candy hitting and I know candy hasn't been hitting either, but I'm just, I'm just, I want him to kind of get a, a jolt. And so I feel like maybe moving him either to the two hole or I even played around with maybe leading candy off just because he's a switch hitter and he kind of mm-hmm. provides a good at bat every time. I still like Robbie in the leadoff hole, but I also wonder what Robbie would look like in the two hole. Um, and then Austin Meadows in the three hole, Javi maybe in the four hole, and then Torque either, you know, give or take five or fourth or fifth. Um, I think it's so easy in our sport to be preemptive about things. We've played 15 games. Oh no, the world is falling because we're under 500. We've played 15 games. Oh no, the world is falling apart because scope is hitting below 150. You know, same same goes for candy. You know, I mean, like like we can we can get pretty caught up in in being um, preemptive in a lot of our a lot of our decisions, being pretty dramatic. But I do think that there is a better run producing lineup out of these names, and I think it's just going to take some throw something at a wall and see what sticks Mm -hmm. because besides torque besides meadows and we hope javi starts heating it up or at least is starts to hit like he did before he got the thumb you know besides those names and miggy of course and besides those names like no one's hitting and shuffling the lineup up might do something it can't hurt yeah 
here's here's my my top of the line that I want to see. I want to see Robbie hit, leading off. I think it's perfect for it. He doesn't like hitting second. He he's he said it before. I want Robbie leading off. I want Meadows hitting second. Javi third. I want Torque hitting fourth, and I want Maggie hitting fifth. Whatever mm-hmm. you do past that, I think it's probably uh, defensible. No yeah. matter who you have down there. Right. That's, and matchup based. Yeah. Right. Right. But like you far and away, those five hitters have been the best hitters on this team. I mean, Javi missed some time and he hasn't looked great since he's come back, but I think he's just trying to figure out his swing again, time everything up again. Once he, once he times it up, he's not going to have a problem. And I think if you're not throwing your five best hitters at the opposing team off the rip, that it just, seems odd to me and i know and i know aj's got a lot you know, a lot more insight on this and it's harder to come to a guy that's been hitting third and fourth and say hey you're gonna hit sixth seventh eighth now because you're not hitting as well i mean you, he has to have those face-to-face conversations with these guys every day and it's got to be probably a whole lot different of a mindset for him but at some point you're gonna have to do something with this lineup because a guy hitting less than 150 with no homers hitting cleanup a majority of nights in Jamer Candelario. It you gotta try something different at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, like again, like the peripheral numbers for Jamer, for Jamer specifically, scope is a whole other other animal at this point. But like I, he hit the scopes, or rather Jamer's still hitting the ball hard. You know, what I mean, like he's still getting contact. And I and that's why I think like he he specifically deserves to be boosted up in the lineup just to see some different pitches because i think it's weird because like you know typically you build a lineup and you get to your fourth hitter and it's it's supposed to be like okay this is this is game on you know that he is he's supposed to be pitched around or you know like whatever it's it's not the the case yeah right it's not the case it's like okay this is reprieve he's an easy out right now and you know not saying it's gonna be like that for the entirety year but i think that uh, a little a little shuffling of, of the names could go a long way. What is your third and final takeaway from this week? Case, you know that I am the biggest Tarek Skubal fan. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was very, very close last week to my hot take being uh, Tarek Skubal doing well instead of Eduardo Rodriguez. I should have picked Skubal because he has been the Tigers' best starting pitcher this year through three starts hands down i don't think that's a question there's no there you can't argue i mean and he's pitched on saturday the the milestone game against a good rockies offense to start this year they they are no they are no slouches this year he pitched six innings allowed five hits no earned runs no walks six strikeouts yeah. What else? What else can you ask from your from your starting pitcher against a good offense? I mean, that's that's especially not being able to stretch him out. Like I think he was at what 70, 80 pitches through six. Yeah, I don't remember his exact pitch count. I mean, I, I think you know maybe later in the season, maybe you send him back out. Oh, he's at ninety. Sorry, it's oh, okay. Okay. I mean, still, um, I think he gets another inning later later this year if he's in yeah, the same position. That's. Fair point. That's a fair point. I, 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 there was one specific moment and I think it's when he pitched out of a jam. There was like one jam there in the middle and, and 
he essentially he just showed a lot of emotion when he like pounded like pounded his glove fist in glove and just one it was obviously because Miggy's big hit happened and it was you know it was just energizing to the mm-hmm. entire team but also too like he knew that he was completely in control of the game and you're right i mean there, there's zero question of who's been the tiger's best pitcher i think if he can keep this up he's due for an absolute breakout season um now it's not easy to keep this up they're still professional hitters he's still got to do his homework he's still got to maintain this pitch mix but I think one, the relationship between him and Barnhart has already improved. And Barnhart feels confident in calling his off speed pitches. And two, you can already see Tarek's confidence in Tarek is, you know, immensely higher than it was at the beginning of the year. And that's just three starts in. I mean, I called it. I yeah. or I don't know. I don't know where or if it was recorded or not, but I, I do, I have made the claim that this year he's going to get, he's going to get some Cy Young votes this year. Whew. I have said, Oh it. man. Okay. All right. Well it. now it is recorded. So there it is. Um, just quickly running through it. I feel like uh, we have to at least mention um, bro. Brisky made his major league debut. Um, kid looked good. I mean, I know like the line score, three hundred runs, whatever, a couple homers. Yeah. Whatever. I don't even care. The dude looked awesome. He just looked like he absolutely wanted to attack hitters, get them out, and just be done with it. And it was, it, I, you know, maybe a conversation for another day or, or whatever, but I, I wonder if this was the best start of any of the young pitchers that we've had. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but. I mean, statistically, I do think that you could have a conversation about that. He. It, the eye test he passed with flying colors. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't look at just the line score because this this kid looked looked like he belonged and looked like he was ready ready for this moment. And we we had a conversation whether we were we were unsure whether he should have been starting the the nightcap of the doubleheader, whether it was a good idea for him to sit through the 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 early afternoon game with the whole Miggy festivities and. Everything we do looked like he didn't know who Miguel Cabrera was and didn't really care. He 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 was out for out for some blood on the mound. And my one question for you is, and I this is my first time actually seeing video of him pitching. I, I missed his start in spring training. I didn't get to see it. Uh, nobody talks about it. His his windup and delivery is a little wonky. It, it, it may... it's different. I mean, I I I think. I think it was weirder before. I think, I think like he's definitely streamlined it. Um, I, I didn't notice anything too, too weird. Like I, like for instance, I mean here, like I think Tarek Skubal's wind up and, and leg kick is pretty wonky. Uh, high leg kick typically isn't what they preach anymore, but you know, Tarek makes it work. Um, I, you know, I think for Bo specifically, it's, it's all going to come down to fastball control and, he he had it on Saturday, um, and because he was able to keep people off balance enough with changing speeds, you know he was able to to pass the eye test as you said against major league hitters. He left a couple sliders, and I don't want to necessarily say they were hanging; they were just kind of cement mixers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, good hitters are going to take a take advantage of those. 
Um, but his changeup is specifically, it, it might be, and I'm just going to say it, it might dirty. be as good as Max Scherzer's changeup. Yeah. Right-handed circle change. I think that, that that's the ceiling. And I think he's pretty close to it. So the Tigers are six and nine. How are we feeling about that? Such a weird place to be as a Tigers fan right now, because we were the same record last year at this time. And I would have said last year that I thought we would have, would be in a better place as of last year. I thought we had a better shot last year. We were coming off of the, the, uh, the Astro series this time, I believe. And like, we, we felt good. We swept the Astros and, this year coming into six and nine, I mean, major question marks with this Tigers team. I mean, just like the injuries and the offense is just struggling. And there's a world in which we're like two and 13 right now. And that's the point I wanted to bring up. And I think that's what's important to keep in mind. I think, you know, whatever number you want to put to it, we're like, down realistically 30 to 40% of our integral pieces of our lineup. And, you know, just spent a week without Javi. And, you know, I know there are some key contributors that continue to keep us in the ball game, but it very easily could be much worse. And I think, you know, you brought it up, right? I mean, like we, we were six and nine through 15 games last year and, you know, we were feeling pretty good about it. And then obviously April went downhill and I don't know if this team is going to have that kind of lull. I think this might be the lulls. And if these are the lulls, I think we can feel pretty confident about that. I definitely think there's been way too much pressure on the bullpen <laughs> and that will eventually catch up to us. And yeah. they, they, they've, they've definitely, a lot of them have punched their tickets to, to longer stays on this Tigers team, but eventually that will cave and eventually the bullpen will have to give up some runs. And, you know, if that starts to happen, I hope our starters have since straightened the ship and our offense has started to score more runs. Yeah, we always say when it comes to baseball that every every water will find its level. You know? Tucker Barnhart quote. It's the offense is gonna that. the offense is gonna is gonna figure it out. The, the defense is going to figure it out. The pitching, it's it's all going to, you know, pitching might come back to, to earth a little bit. But I think our, our, our best looking team, the starting pitching looks better. The relief pitching might look a little worse, but the offense looks better. And I think it. I think it, I think it's, I think it's going to be okay. I think we're going to figure it out this year and it's, it's all going to come together. So. Absolutely. And I mean, we still have to keep in mind too, that AJ is the backbone of this team and, mm-hmm. you know, 
in AJ, we trust. <laughs> like, I think, I think he, he knows what he's doing. He does not panic no matter what happens, no matter if he has one starting pitcher on his 26 man roster, or if he has all five healthy, which I don't know if it'll happen at all this year. Um, but he does not panic. He understands his players on a incredibly deep level. And, you know, what's good for the team is what he, and what's good for the wins, really, you know, he's, he's after the wins, he will try and execute his hardest. And I think, you know, six and nine, while he's not that probably the happiest about it, I think it could have been easily much worse. Time to introduce a new topic. And we've been uh, brainstorming this one a little bit. Uh, We were going to introduce it last week, but there was just so many injury and transaction notes to go through that it just didn't fit in. But we don't only watch Tigers baseball. And I think, you know, we were kind of talking about it earlier, like, it's important to keep in context of how broad of a sport baseball is. Um, and so the new topic is called around the league where we're each going to bring one thing that we saw from around the world of baseball and incorporate it into, you know, either make it a point about the Tigers you know, team, if we want to tie it in or just make a statement about baseball as a whole. And I think it'll, it'll broaden the horizons a little bit, but also kind of, you know, lay claim to the fact that it's not just the Tigers playing baseball right now. So what is your first around the league topic, Josh? This directly correlates to Detroit Tigers baseball. And I think we would be, we wouldn't be very good podcasters if we, if we only talked about Tigers baseball. And that's why I really like this idea, but this relating to the Tigers, Offense is down across major league baseball. And Wait, so you're saying it's not just the Tigers team that is their offense sucks? Well, I mean, there's there's some teams that are hitting a bit better, but <laughs> just in general, offense is down, batting average is down, home runs are down. Home runs are the lowest they've been since like 2016, I think. So it's 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 been it's been rough. And what a lot of people are are attributing this poor offensive start to the year for the whole league is uh, the baseballs. And, you know, here we go again, more baseball controversy. How, know, many, how many letters is Rob Manfred going to get this year? <laughs> the baseball knows, man. It's, it's bad. I, I was the, the information that I've heard is uh, apparently last year, there was two kinds of balls that major league baseball had. Now the distribu- distribution of those baseballs is that's a little bit of a controversy right now, but there was a harder baseball and then there was a softer tackier baseball that was used and the harder ball. They used about half of them about half of the time. And then they distributed them to be used this year. The rest, the rest of them for for the whole year is the is the thought for this year for these and, harder and so the the theory is right that it kind of came out last year you know still not corroborated but like if the Yankees were playing Friday night baseball or Sunday night baseball on ESPN they were going to get some softer baseballs is that the that that was that is the rumor 
and yeah. it's it's not been confirmed and there's been no no real action on that front but uh, it's it's been confirmed that there was two different baseballs being used last year just in general um another thing to consider about the balls this year is that uh as of last year uh at nine parks they put the balls in a humidor which keeps them uh it's they're easier to rub up and and they they usually fly a little bit better in warmer places once they've been put in the humidor um just with the humidity and the and the dampness in the air is what that's Hmm. referring to um but this year it's been required by major league baseball that all 30 parks have one and the balls be kept there so in the cold weather that could have a little bit more of a negative effect so that it's kind of a big thing for me because i think if baseball is wanting to stay relevant and still be still still be you know a good a good a good uh, drawing sport, if you will. Um, it's going to have to keep its offense at least, you know, interesting. And if you're going to use baseballs that make you know, less home runs, less hits, just harder to throw from pitcher's perspective because walks are up across the league. It's uh, that's that's not the way to go. So we've seen it at Comerica Park. Yeah, we've seen. I mean, Spencer Torkelson is leading this team with three home runs. And, and really not a whole lot to talk about after that when it comes mm-hmm. to home runs. I mean, Javi has one, Haas has one, Scope has one. And that's about it. Uh, Badu has one. I think that's pretty close to it on the homers. So it's not just us, and that's something to look at and just to hold on to as Tigers fans. It's not just us. We're not the only ones struggling with this, but – I think that's it's kind of a combination of an offensive team that's struggling and, you know, a baseball that's really hard to do anything with at this point. So, yeah. And I mean, I don't know if we're going to have like a classic Tom Brady deflate gate on our hands or anything like that. But I definitely think that the key to like what you said, expanding the sport is the offense. I think Juan Soto hitting bombs is good for the sport. I think, say what you will about Slam Diego, but when they hit <laughs> grand slams in every baseball game in 2020, I think that's good for baseball. You know what I mean? Like, I, I as much as I love pitching and as much as I love the small ball aspects of the game, and it's really why I, I love the Tigers team right now, there's still something to be said about a hitter who can just bomb a baseball and do it with some emotion and do it with some passion. That's going to bring people to the sport. And I'm not naive. I understand that most people, if you're tuning into baseball, are intrigued by the big home run and the big offensive stretch. And I don't really get why it goes in the direction of a harder baseball. Mm -hmm. If that's, if you know, if you know, that that is going to cause less offense. I mean, they used the baseballs last year. They knew exactly what it was going to do. It's just, and, and it doesn't make the... any sense. It's like Rob Manfred doesn't want his sport to grow. It's, 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 it's dumbfounding. It truly is like, it truly is. And I, and that's me saying that who, who really 
watches baseball games for the pitching and some cool defensive plays and the the, the the offense is is whatever it is to me and it's it's cool when the Tigers score runs but I I really I mostly care about watching us on the other side of the ball and that's like the severe minority mm-hmm. the other factor that's happening around the league that is also attributing to less offense <laughs> is our friends the umpires the good old umpires. Let me take you back to a baseball game that happened last night against the Milwaukee Brewers and the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't watch the entirety of this game. I had planned to watch it and then got busy with some other things, but it was the Sunday night baseball game. And typically, You want your Sunday night ESPN special. Most eyes are going to be on this. You want that product to look good. You want that product to be the pristine version of baseball. And it was actually a pretty competitive, awesome game to people like me. Mm -hmm. It was a 0-0 game until the very, very end. And, you know, you look at the line scores. It was Lauer versus Nola in the pitching matchup. Uh, Nola had like seven strikeouts. Lauer had like 13. They each went like six and seven innings respectively. Looked like a classic pitching duel. However, you start to do some video review of said ball game, and you start to realize that the real star of the show was one Angel Hernandez. <laughs> And our friend Angel was calling everything. And and inside, outside, high, low, he didn't know the difference between the strike zone and his own hand at that point. He he legitimately had zero idea what a strike was. And it all culminated in the very end of the game where the Brewers have taken a 1-0 lead and they have Josh Hader, their star closer, on the mound. Hader already gets one out. And mind you, this guy throws 98 from the left side. Disgusting. And, and has realistically one of the nastiest sliders in the game. Kyle Schwarber's up to bat. He works himself into an amazing 3-2 count. I think he was down in the count early, and he worked Mm -hmm. himself back into it. And 3-2 count. Here comes the pitch. Josh Hader. Paint on the outside corner, but it was clearly a ball. And what does Angel Hernandez do? Calls it a strike. And Kyle Schwarber, the amount of emotion that came out of this man was unrivaled. Threw his helmet, threw his bat, in the most respectful way possible. And just let Angel have it. And it was awesome. It was awesome to see. 
not only was he defending, you know, his own team and kind of voicing the 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 dirty laundry of his own team, but also he was saying like, "Hey, the Brewers, like I was out in the field too. I saw what you called. There were some BS calls on that on that front too." Like I mean, he was being fair. He was being as respectful as possible while also yelling it in, you know, six feet away from Angel Hernandez's face. And all of Twitter, of course, erupted. And it causes this discussion, right? And we don't necessarily have to get into it right now, but it brings us back to the idea why do we care or why don't we care enough about getting the call right? Robo lumps. Bring them. Bring it. It's time. I, they're trying it out in the minors, right? And like, I, I don't know how it's, it, people are saying it's cutting off like 20 minutes, 30 minutes of baseball games. And, you know, maybe that's what baseball needs. I don't know if I'm ready for that change yet. I would like to see maybe like a challenge system right now. And, and I know pace of play is an issue. So it, it's kind of tough. But like maybe if you had two ball slash strike challenges a game per team. And, you know, that would be the end of it. And if you felt like you should challenge it, it would go to a video review and it'd be quick and done. But as we know, as we learned from the replay review, it takes about three years to hone in an actual system for that to be mm-hmm. at all efficient. Here's here's my solution for you. And I, I've been thinking about it all day, honestly. Like this, I was listening to a couple different podcasts that talked about, you know, just mostly going into Angel Hernandez specifically. And I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts on him specifically, but we'll get into that another day. But uh, the, the the strike zone is something that I think is recognized as being one of the most difficult things to adjudicate as an umpire or a referee or an official in a in a in a sporting context. It's it's so hard. It's an instantaneous decision that you have to make, and it happens three hundred times a game, and you have to get it right every single time, or else everyone's mad at you. And I understand it's a difficult job. I think we can give these umpires some support. I think we can, we can make it easy for them to figure out and not to look bad. And, and it's something that a a few other sports are starting to implement. And it's, 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 it's in soccer, it's called VAR and it's, I'm not hundred percent sure how it would work specifically, but basically well, on tennis, they have it too, where yeah, it's all, it's, it's all a digital thing. review it's system. Just, it's the same thing. I don't understand why we couldn't do something similar in baseball where we could be that where the, the batter could sit there and the umpire would call the call and it could be borderline and the, and the batter would say, okay, he would look over at the manager or whatever. And the manager would say, okay, yeah. Can we get a re- review of that? And literally within seconds, hopefully the, the announcement could come over the stadium or they could throw it up on the big screen or something where they could be like, okay, yeah, that was a strike or nope, it was actually a ball. And they can adjust the the counters and we could just move on, step in next, next pitch. Here we go. Mm-hmm. I just, it, that seems like something super streamlined, super easy. It doesn't affect the pace of play very much. It, it's done in other sports. It's not like this is radically new technology that we didn't have to work with. They already have the, the strike zone, technology on almost every single tv broadcast out there of a baseball game literally it's the fact that this is still a conversation and that this 
solutions to this are moving so slowly. There's no reason for it. There's just no excuses. It's, I, I don't understand why. I don't get no, it. And you bring up a really good point. I don't want to overlook it. I, the umpire is at the heart of all of this. And as an umpire who probably gets harassed, probably has like hate spewed at them, not only on at the game, but also like online. I've read in different situations where like all the umpires like can't have social media because they know what it'll do to them and they know what their accounts will be plagued with. Like, I mean, these are human beings and it's incredibly difficult. Like you said, for the human mind to make that split second decision and decide whether or not that that fits within the realms of a strike or a ball. So why make them do it? Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and if it truly is, if it truly is the human element of the game, then you have to never open your mouth about things like happened last night. You can't say a word. If you're okay with what happened last night in that Milwaukee Brewers game and Philadelphia Phillies game, you cannot say a word or rather if you're okay with the, the, the strikes and balls being called by a human, you cannot say that that was egregious. You know, I looked up the umpire scorecard. It was like plus 0.77 runs to Milwaukee, but that's only because it evened out from how bad it was from both teams. And, you know, I mean, obviously Milwaukee ended up winning. So, you know, that's to be said about that, but it's still, there's zero reason why you need to put that much pressure on one human being. And we have the technology to do it. Let's just implement something. Doesn't have to be the full way. Doesn't have to be all of it. Yeah. Just had to just figure out something. To be fair, that last strike to, to Schwarber, what's it? it, it oh, was I've seen worse calls. I've seen it worse was, calls. It was just the sure. culmination of the whole game. Absolutely. And, I mean, you look at that, and what a great Twitter follow, by the way. This umpire scorecards Twitter account just tosses out like what a great story. That's a, that's another story for another day. But mm-hmm. you you look at and there's one specific pitch that's almost off the page. That's how far <laughs> away it is from the strike zone. It's so bad. <laughs> And that's one of those moments where, like, at me as a guy that's umpired maybe three games of any kind of baseball ever in my life, I could pretty confidently sit up there and say, I might be able to do a better job on that one. I I don't know. Like, it's a hard job, but, like, that's bad, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber said everything that everyone watching that game wanted to say to Angel Hernandez, and he is a man of the people for it. So. Bless your heart, Kyle Schwarber. Last week's predictions. So quickly, I we don't have to go over just, stat. I think oh, oh, you want? Oh, segment. sorry. Oh, sorry. You wanted to skip this segment. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, we interestingly, don't need to. interestingly enough, you know, the one time I'm actually right about anything, <laughs> you want to skip it. Okay, interesting. You know, I, I'll go easy on you. We don't have to. We don't have to read any line scores. We don't even have to read any stats about it. I'm just going to simply say the words, Pineda. Mm-hmm. and Robbie Grossman. Needless to say, I want to skip this more for my performance, less than your performance. Like, Sorry, just tell um, us who, who your people were again, though. Just so. uh, Well, 
there was a Todd the Painter involved, mm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there was a wishful thinking breakout from Jonathan Scope situation that was that was there. And again, these are just guesses. You can't you can't be you know I I got lucky this time, and Pineda probably one of the best starts of his career. <laughs> and <it gets> shoved. <laughs> And, and, and Grossman, he just he looked like he was taking some nice swings when he got off the DL or the IL rather. But you can't fault for that. And I think no one could have predicted the couple the last couple starts Alexander had. So you shouldn't hold it against yourself. But who are your new predictions for this week where you can hopefully wash out some of the bad taste? I'm gonna go with the hot hand and the pitching staff. I'm gonna go with Scooby. He's mm. looked great. I think he's going to get a start against the Dodgers. So I think it's it's going to be a kind of a banner moment for him. We're going to see what he's got against the arguably the best lineup in all of baseball. Um, and as a hitter, I'm going to go with Javi. I think he I think he gets his timing back this week, and he you know gets gets back at the the you know no pun intended the swing of things, and he gets he gets going offensively. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> That's funny. Appreciate that. Um. I'm also going to go with someone who's going to face the Dodgers this week and uh, it could go very well. It also could go very poorly, but I'm going to hope it goes well. Uh, Bo Brisky. I think he oh, welcome to the big leagues kid. Holy right, cow. Right. I think, I think he showed what he's capable of in game one. And, and honestly, I think game two that he gets, I think he, as long as he stays attacking and getting ahead of, hitters i think he's gonna have another great start and then and then uh, this is pretty contingent on candy getting moved around a little bit in the lineup so we'll see if that happens but i do think candy is is due to have a better week again we've been over the peripheral numbers they're better on candy he's hitting the ball just as hard as he was last year he's just not finding any grass he is striking out more and he for some reason wants to swing at balls at his feet but suffice to say I hope he has a better week. Um, hot takes for this week, which I know you don't want to reference it, <laughs> but Willie Castro contributed offensively. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. He walked with the bases loaded. He got a couple hits, and he's of note, of note, he's still on this team after I think two transactions have happened since where he could have been sent down. He's still on this team. Watch out, you know, credit, Castro haters. Credit to you. You you correctly deduced a, a, a you know halfway decent offensive performance from Willie <laughs> Castro, and and you should you deserve some credit. I kind of went off on you last week, and oh, I appreciate you that. were completely correct. And you know, my prediction did not, or my hot take was very wrong. So I mean, here we are. Um, my my hot take for this week is that Big Mike, Michael Pineda, will finish this week without giving up an earned run this year. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, if that happens, I will be ecstatic. That would be... So that means that his next start, right, he, he probably goes deeper in the game, mm-hmm. and he is completely lights out. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah. I. If that happens... I think we have something to look forward to this week. My hot take, and I went a little bit more nuanced this time around, a little bit more detailed, 
And I said, Torque will bat fourth at least once this week. That is my prediction. And I think he's the logical step to move forward in the lineup rather than, than backward in the lineup, where I think there's a few other candidates who are going to move down in the lineup. And we'll just leave it at that. I don't think that's a ridiculous hot take, honestly, because, I mean, Miggy's probably going to go back to fifth. I think that's the hard one, though, right? I think I think that, and that's where it gets a little weird, is like, you know, Miggy is going to have to bat fifth. And, I, and, and right now, Torque has been sixth. That's just where he's sat. Mm-hmm. And and he's kind of found a home there, but as soon as you move him above Miggy, that's making a statement. And then obviously fourth, you know, that is in and of itself one of the most important places in the lineup. So I, I think it, it's it, it's a little less likely to happen than than we'd like to say. But and and Hinch does like to stick to his to his lineup. Um, but I think I think realistically it could happen. Yeah. Any finishing thoughts from you, Josh? Um, I don't think so. Uh, big week for Tiger for the Tigers. They've got the the division leading Twins for three, and they've got the Dodgers over the weekend. So in LA, mind you. So we've got got kind of a late late weekend on on the docket. But yeah, we got some is, West Coast games. Those will be fun. This is going to be kind of a measuring stick of if if this team can do what they did last year and hang with the big boys and i don't know got so very unsure but it'll be exciting it'll be good mm-hmm. and as long as carlos correa goes 0 for 8 with eight strikeouts we will call it a win <laughs> how about that sounds good <laughs> as always thank you guys so much for joining us uh you can find us at old english pod right is that correct Correct. that is correct oh man i was i was not sure at old english pod (laughs) on twitter and you can find us on spotify on apple music and we appreciate the listens we appreciate any comments and and questions any comments concerns or questions that you may have um leave us a like on spotify that'd be awesome as well um and give us a follow that'd be fantastic and as always Go Tigers.